This is What Book Hooked You. I'm Brock Shelley, and thanks for listening. On this episode, I have Megan Bannon, whose newest book, Soul Swift, comes out on November the 17th. And in this episode, you'll hear Megan and I talk about uh, kind of her upbringing with books, then how she kind of transitioned into really wanting to pursue uh, this dream she had of becoming a writer and diving into kind of the inspiration and what went into her newest book, Soul Swift. So listen in. So Megan, what book hooked you? Well, the book that hooked me was a book called My Friend the Monster by Clyde Robert Beulah, which I read when I was in the third grade. Um, and I was not a big reader. I, I feel like I meet a lot of authors who were lifelong readers and love books from the day they could breathe. And that was not me at all. And that was very troubling to my parents because my mom is a librarian. Mm. My dad's an avid reader and both of my older sisters were big readers. And so my mom used to worry about me a lot and she would take us to the library and my sister Susan would get just this giant stack of books and she would read all of them in a week. She was such a fast reader and I struggled reading quite a bit and uh, was not interested in reading. And so, you know, I had to go to the library because my family went to the library and I would always grab a few books and I would never Mm. read them. I just didn't like it. I think the only thing I read at that age was like Garfield comics, you know? And like the family circus, not the the quality one would hope. So, um, but one day we were at the library And it's actually a library system I ended up working at as a librarian when I became one. Um, But we were at the library and my sister got her usual giant stack of books. And I remember my mom looking at me going, oh, don't you want to get one too? Yeah, okay, fine. I'll go get a book. And I just randomly pulled this book off the shelf and um, took it home. And I think my mom never lost hope, you know, and was (laughs) like, why don't we read that book? Let's sit down and read that book together. Fine. So after dinner, we sat down and read together, or she read it to me, and they had beautiful illustrations, by the way. And I was hooked for the first time in my life. I was literally, like you said, I was hooked on a book. Um, and that had never happened to me before. Yeah. And then my mom like read three chapters and said, okay, go to bed. And I didn't want to go to bed. I wanted to find out what happened in that book. And so for the first time in my life, I kept my reading lamp that I almost never used on all night. And I turned it off anytime I heard my parents <laughs> get close to the bedroom door. And I stayed up so late reading that book. And it's not a big book. I mean, I, th- I have it here. I think it's like, <laughs> sure. yeah. I was not a good reader. And I think it's like 29 pages or something. I don't know. Um, but I-, I had to stay up really late to read it because I was such a slow reader, but it just, I was in, I was in that world. I lost my sense of this reality and I was living in this totally different reality for the first time ever. Mm. And that was the book that really, that, that set the groundwork for me becoming a reader because mm. I would not say I was a reader after that. Sure. I knew that I loved that book and I wanted to read more things that were exactly like that book. And I read other books by that author and I did like one or two of them, but it was, it was like, ah, oh, they're just not the same. It's not Mm. the same as my friend, the monster. (laughs) No. And it took me about another, at least another year to find another book that I really, really loved. And that was The Secret of Nim 
Mm. Oh no, I'm sorry. That was the movie. Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim was the book. Um, and again, I mean, again, it's like more of a fantasy mm-hmm. setting. It's more of, you've got talking animals. It's speculative fiction. And I think um, my mom hates fantasy. <laughs> she hates <laughs> speculative fiction. And I think it never occurred to her that one of her kids, that might be their bat. You know, my mm-hmm. mom was always like, liking contemporary realistic things that she would hand off to me or she loved mysteries. She's always giving mysteries. I actually hate mysteries very much. Um, no offense to mystery readers <laughs> out there. Have at it. It's just not my bag. But I think it was that finding fantasy settings. And I, for whatever reason, I had a much easier time losing myself or seeing myself in the character's shoes when I was reading fantasy and speculative fiction than I did realistic fiction. Mm. And eventually I hit the Chronicles of Narnia and mm. then eventually a Wizard of Earthsea and Howl's Moving Castle and all that good stuff. And so because the other members of your family were such big readers, you said your mom was a librarian, was there a little bit of of maybe kind of stubbornness and pushback that, you know, it didn't necessarily you didn't necessarily feel like it needed to be your thing that young the love of books just because you seem surrounded by it, maybe? I don't know. I, I don't think so. I think I was um, a saintly child. <laughs> I mean, like, really, I was too good. Uh-huh. I should have gotten into more trouble than I did. And I, I, it never occurred. To, I was not rebellious at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think... I think I just... I think I struggled with reading. Mm. And I always got good grades in school, but reading was I, I hated it and it took me so long and I always kind of wonder if I had maybe a, a slight disability or or like that I had mm-hmm. some because even to this day I I just don't read fast I know mm-hmm. some people who burn through books and it sure. takes me forever and I really struggle to read out loud I tend mm-hmm. to stumble over the words so um, I don't know if that was part of it I don't think it was a stubborn streak I think um I think I view kids becoming readers the same way I think of kids eating vegetables. And this is my theory is that <laughs> if you're, whatever you grow up with is your baseline normal. So if you're sitting at the dinner table with parents who eat vegetables, even if you hate vegetables, someday you'll turn into an adult who eats vegetables because you have somehow soaked that in that it is normal for adults to eat vegetables. And I think reading is very similar. I think some, some kids take to reading very easily. But if you grow up in a house full of books, mm. you, you just, it's an understanding that you have that reading is normal, reading is what people do. Mm. And eventually that's something you start to do at some age. Mm. Mm. So as you then grew up and kind of came into adolescence, were, did your reading life continue to grow? Were there books in your teenage years or preteen years that you remember being very important to you during those times. Yes, very much. So I, I already mentioned A Wizard of Earthsea, which, uh, <laughs> I mean, that book was just, I thought that was the most amazing thing I'd ever read in my life. And it's, of course I did. I mean, my God, it's Ursula K. Le Guin. It was an amazing book. That series was amazing. Um, I also went absolutely bazonkers over Lucy Maud Montgomery. So I started with Anne of Green Gables and I, I through like seventh and eighth grade, I I think I may have legit read every single thing that woman wrote. And back in those days, like <laughs> a lot of her stuff was out of print. This was back mm. in the 80s. And 
we were having to get books on interlibrary loan from really far away. And they were like first editions that came to us very moldy, you sure. know, <laughs> there were some old books that got into my hands, but I just read, I loved her and I read everything she wrote. I read through the whole Anne of Green Gables series, like all eight books multiple times. Um, I don't know what it was about, about her that I really, what she wrote that I really, that really resonated with me, but it did. Mm. I think it was that whole, I live in this reality and I like this reality, but I can, I also have this very fanciful mindset and, um, you know, and love things like the Lady of Shalott and thinking about fairies and fairyland and things like that. And it's kind of like, um, she was really good about mingling the real world with the speculative world in a way in which both of those things were very positive. And I think that was something that resonated with me as a preteen or in, you know, when I was in middle school. Mm -hmm. mm. And so you mentioned uh, that you then ended up becoming a librarian. What kind of drove you towards that career path? That, well, okay. A that was an accident, actually. <laughs> accidental librarian I think um, I got a master's degree in English eventually and as it turns out and I know this will shock you but you really can't do much with a master's degree in English it's not the most marketable degree program so the only job I could get as I was I finished my coursework and I still needed to take comps but I finally had to get my first big girl job and the only job I could find was as a youth services associate at the Topeka and Shawnee County Public Library. And that was the year they opened their brand new building. It was gorgeous. Um, but I remember at the time thinking, oh, God, kids. I don't like kids. I don't <laughs> want to work with kids, you know? And that just, that blows my mind now, knowing what I know now. Mm -hmm. um, but that was the job I got. So, you know, I studied for my comps and started working in public libraries. And what I quickly realized was that, um, A, kids are awesome and way better to work with than adults and B kids books are awesome and maybe possibly more awesome than all the great literature I've been reading. <laughs> uh, and so it just took off from there. Eventually I got my library science degree and I've worked for three different public library systems and almost that entire time I've been a children's librarian. Great. And then when it came to the writer side of your life, when did that kind of, pop in to your head as an idea of wanting to pursue writing? Um, oh God, another circuitous route. <laughs> I think I, sometime like in the early 2000s, I thought, you know, I love reading and I, I'm a pretty good writer. I think I'm going to try to write a book. I'm going to try to write a book. And I, you know, on the weekends, I would go up to Panera. This is before I had things like children. Sure. You know, like, sure. <laughs> no, not like, oh, popping off to Panera for a weekend just doesn't even seem like on the scale of reality. But back then I could do that. And I would go off to some cafe or whatever and just spend hours trying to write this book. And it was, you know, it was this, it was literary fiction. It was very literary. And um, I got about 40,000 words into it and I just petered out. I just couldn't get through it. And I don't know why I felt like I needed to write great literature when I was a children's librarian, but that's really what I thought I wanted to do. And then eventually I did have kids and a job, you know, and a job in life. And I just, I thought, well, I, 
I have many gifts, this is not one of them. So I kind of bid that little dream adieu for a while. But then I got the idea for The Bird and the Blade. And this was when my oldest child was one and a year before my second child was born. And, you know, it's finally kind of coming out of that baby coma mm -hmm, mm -hmm. where they're, they're kind of sleeping. And so you're kind of sleeping. Mm -hmm. And I got this idea for this book. And I'm like, man, I'd make a cool young adult novel. I'm going to write that book. I'm going to write that book someday. But I, I was saying that the same way I say things like, someday I'm going to get in shape. And I'm going to buy kale and actually eat it. You know, like these are things I might really have the best of intentions to do, but I'm not actually going to do them. And it wasn't until, I can't believe I tell this story in public. Um, <laughs> it wasn't until I got my master's degree in library science. And by this point, my kids were two and four. Because I have this habit, by the way, of um, having a child and then getting a master's degree at the same time. So I have a master's degree for each baby. Uh, so I just finished my library science degree and I started working nights and weekends at a public library. And, um, and I was kind of like surfacing again and coming into the world of like where you have rational adults or a rational adult conversation. And like I wore mascara out of the house. It was just a very exciting time. And I realized that there were all these books I'd kind of missed out on. Um, and, and specifically, I discovered that there were books by Marcus Zusak that I had never read. And I loved um, The Book Thief and I'm the Messenger and Getting the Girl. I'd read all of those, but I found out there were a couple of other books he had that I hadn't read. I was like, oh my God, here I am back in reality. I'm going to put this book on hold. Uh, and the book was Fighting Reuben Wolf. And it came in on hold at the library. And at that time, staff holds were located in the back workroom out of the public eye. And I, I was, it was an evening, so there was no one around. And I remember seeing it on the shelf. And you know, you get so excited when a book comes in that's by an author that you know you're gonna like, like guaranteed, gonna like this book, and I hold it off the whole shelf. And when I get a book in my hands that I'm excited about, I get very like, I get very affectionate with the book. You know, like I flip through the pages and smell the ink, I, you know, it's just, there's something very visceral about it. And I did that with, fighting Reuben Wolf and I flipped through the pages and it turns out the spine of the book was broken and the whole thing fell apart in my hands and I'm left holding just the back cover. And what I can see on the back cover is Marcus Zusak's like author photo and right underneath his photo, it's his bio. And it's the first line read, Marcus Zusak was born in 1975. And it was like, like the needle of a record player, you know, like scratching or like break squealing, like everything just stopped because I was born in 1974. And that means that Marcus Zusak is younger than I am. And at a time in my life when getting out of my house without peanut butter <laughs> somewhere on my person, sure. this guy has written a book that could feasibly outlive him. And I was just filled with this rage. And it was really rage directed at me but I very unfairly directed it at poor Marcus Zusak's <laughs> author photo. And I, I don't know that I actually said this aloud, but in my memory, I did. I looked at his author photo and I said, oh, I am going to write that book, Marcus Zusak. I'm going to write that book. And I, I honestly, that's what, that was like the kick in the pants that I needed <laughs> to just shut up and write the stupid book. It was this moment of, all right, Megan, you're not gonna write a book unless you actually 
write the book. And that seems obvious, but it's like, it's not going to happen through me just hoping it happens someday. I've got to sit down and do the work and write the stupid book. So, so how did you, I guess, write the book? Meaning, like, what was your next step? Did you just figure, like, carve out a time? Or did you look for some sort of support system? Did you enroll in any type of courses? Or, like, what was your kind of path to forcing yourself to write the book? Well, so I had, I had some experience with carving out time to try to write a book. Like I knew that that was something I could figure out. And, um, and for me, that stuff was kind of built in because mm-hmm. as a working mom, there's only so much time in the day that's available to you, like sans obligation, right? Mm-hmm. So there was like nap time, there was attempting to get up before anybody else was awake. And even if that was only a half an hour and a cup of coffee, that was still a half an hour and a cup of coffee sure. to get some writing done. Um, and also two nights after I, I made this grand discovery um, <laughs> that I need to, like, I have to write this book. I was working an evening shift with my really good friend, Kathy. And I was still, I was still grumpy about all of this. I'm like, you believe this guy, he's written the book thief and he's younger than I am. And she says, oh, I wrote a book once. And I'm like, what? Has everybody written a book but me? That's it. We're critique partners now. And I wasn't even nice about it. I'm like, we're critique partners now. And she's like, oh, okay. So suddenly now I had a critique partner. And um, a year later, we roped in another friend who also worked at the library. And we've actually been critique partners now for eight years. But that was really great because we would meet on a regular basis and we would read each other's chapters and we would give each other critique and we'd also hold each other accountable. So it's like, if you know you have to turn in chapters at a certain point in time, that means you got to do the work to turn in those chapters to your critique partners. Mm -hmm. So those were different ways I kind of set aside the time and made goals to get through the work. But honestly, the burn the blade, as I tried to get through the first draft was really frustrating and I was so mad at myself after a year that I couldn't get through it, that I threw out everything I had written up till that point. And in November of 2012, I decided to write the first draft for National Novel Writing Month. So November 1st, 2012, I started on page one and I did not stop until I hit the end. And I think that was November 26th. Awesome. And so you have now your second book, The Burn in the Blade is the first book. Your second book, Soul Swift. Let's start talking about that. First, tell me what Soul Swift is about. So Soul Swift is the story of Gelia. And Gelia was chosen in her, by, according to her religious belief, to be a vessel of the word of the one true God. So she has this magical ability to read this special language called Sanctus that is the word of God. And um, it's a language that is sung and it's, it is not exactly individual words, it's more um, instinctive and feeling. So that as you are singing the word of God to the congregants of the church, they are actually like literally living the experience of whatever it is the one true God is trying to say to them or whatever story the one true God is trying to tell them. So they're actually like experiencing it rather than hearing it 
just the words in their ears, if that makes sense. Um, so there is an opposing religion in this world that believes that there is not just a one true God, but that there's also a mother goddess. The religion that Gelia comes from believes that that mother goddess is actually a great demon. And many centuries ago, their religion captured that entity and imprisoned it. And there's kind of been this ongoing war between these two religions about, uh, you know, one side wants to free that entity because they believe that she is a mother goddess, whereas Gelia's side wants to keep her safely locked away. And in the course of the book, a soldier from the enemy religion actually frees the mother or this demon from her earthly prison. And it possesses Gelia and takes, like it enters her body and Gelia is now the vessel of this entity that is either a demon who's going to end the world or a goddess who is going to save it. And she has to figure out which of those two beliefs is correct and, and what she's going to do about it. So when it came to this book uh, with Soul Swift, what was that initial idea that got you started writing it? The initial idea behind this book um, began with a piece of music, and it's actually a very well-known piece of music. I think most people would recognize it if they heard it. It's called The Lark Ascending, and it's composed by Ray Vaughn Williams. It's about 100 years old, and it's, it's a beautiful piece of music. It's one of the most famous works of classical music out there. Um, and it's just, it's really bittersweet. It has so much longing in it. It's exquisitely beautiful. And I just remember hearing it and thinking, I want to write a book that feels like mm. that. And that was the beginning. And I mean, that talk about vague, like I want to write a book <laughs> that feels like this piece of music. Um, and so I would listen to it over and over and over again. I'd be driving to work and I'd be listening to it on a loop or I'd be on a walk and I'd just listen to that piece of music. And one day as I was pulling into the parking lot at work, I got this, this moment in my mind of something that happens in the book that I can't tell you because it would be very spoilery, mm. um, but I knew immediately, whatever this is, it's the end of the book. And it's kind of weird. So what would make that happen? And the whole book then becomes about answering the question, what would make that happen? Mm. And it really wasn't until I got the other main character in my mind, his name is Tavik, um, that I figured out what this book was going to be. And the way I got to Tavik's character was, this was a few years ago. I mean, this book has been a long time coming. And I think I was listening to like one of those little nanos <laughs> and it wouldn't let me, I'm trying to listen uh, yeah. to The Lark Ascending, which was the third track on that particular CD. I don't know, what do we call it? That particular recording yeah. and it wouldn't let me advance to the third track so i had to listen to the first two tracks on my walk and one of those tracks was another work by rafe von williams called um, fantasia on a theme by thomas tallis and suddenly i just got i was listening to it this very powerful piece of music and i just got this guy in my head and he's doing something with two swords and i I asked myself, what is he doing? And immediately I knew the answer was he's praying. And I realized this is a book about religion. This is a book about faith. And I knew immediately that that was something I really, really wanted to write because I think religious doubt and struggles with faith was the central struggle of my teenage years. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I do think there are quite a few books that 
deal with that topic, but it's not something you see that much in young adult. I think there's a lot of young adult experiences you see represented in young adult literature that, uh, that teens typically face, whether that's first love, dealing with issues of social justice, family issues, friends issues. But I, I think you don't see as often those, those teens struggling with, what do I believe? Here's what I was taught to believe, but what do I believe? And I think that's, um, it's a story I wish my 17 year old self had got to see more often. And so that was a big motivating factor for really getting through that book. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to writing fantasy, how do you, how have you found best to approach it when it comes to the fact that you're building these worlds and these characters and this, these societies and magic systems and all of that, how are you kind of plotting it out? Is it something that you want to have a good understanding beforehand, or is it something that you kind of let come to you as you go through kind of the situations and the characters? Uh, I'm a hot <laughs> mess. I'm, like, I'm a messy, organic writer. And uh, I always curse myself several times through the process um, because I know I don't do it the same way that a lot of folks do it. Um, and I wish I did. I, I mm. saw Tessa Grattan give a workshop on world building a few years ago, and it was just brilliant. And I wish I would just do what Tessa does because she's so smart with how she builds world first and then creates the story out of the world. That makes sense, but that <laughs> is not what I do. So listen to Tessa Grattan and not to me is my number one piece of advice. But as far as what I do, um, I don't think I do what many fantasy authors do. And frankly, I don't care very much. <laughs> I shouldn't say this. I shouldn't even admit this as a fantasy author. I don't care about the world. I really don't <laughs> care about the world. I want, I don't want, I want bare minimum world. I care about characters. And that's a weird thing for fantasy, a fantasy author to say, because like, why are you writing a fantasy world if you don't care about world building? But here we are, Megan. So I, I almost always start with character and some sort of central conflict. And um, usually before I begin writing the book, I have kind of the important characters in mind and what I kind of the, the emotional journey I want them to go through. And I usually know like five or six key scenes that are, that are very important to the book that are going to happen in that book. And I call that the spine of the novel. And then me drafting the novel is basically the process by which I try to figure out how all those little parts of the spine are connected. Soul Swift was a really good example of me writing and writing and writing all the different ways those pieces were not connected until I finally slowly, painfully figured out how they were connected. It's mm. mm. great. So let me ask you this. So you're the first person I'm interviewing post-election as a writer <laughs> yes. who has, has had to, you know, kind of create and think about these things uh, for the past couple of years. Do you foresee kind of in your own creative approach or juices that things will change for you? Do you feel that maybe kind of reflecting back on the past couple of years that you were stuck or, or your feelings that you had for uh, the current situation that you saw in front of you influence positively or negatively 
your writing approach and do you kind of hope or foresee that that changing for you now that there seems to be and of course who knows what will happen in the next uh, couple weeks ahead uh, but do you see kind of <laughs> a growth in some sort of way in as opposed to the past few years when it comes to your writing I, yeah yes because i think no matter no matter what um we are all affected by world events and what's going on around us. And that shapes who we are as people and who I am as a person shapes what I'm interested in writing. So I mean, one thing that's interesting about Soul Swift was that I wrote the first draft um, in October and November of 2016. Mm -hmm. So that presidential election like landed right in the middle of the first draft. And what was interesting was how it, it affected that draft because I, I set out to write one book and I thought I knew what it was about. Mm -hmm. And when I looked at the first draft, when I read through it, probably in January or so, January, February, where things were interesting. Um, it, was, it was like, wow. Like I could really see how that election changed the course of that book. Um, so that was kind of interesting and it really kind of, it, it shifted what thematically what that book was about. And so I, and now, and it's just interesting too, then that I worked on it for three solid years. And now here we are with the book coming out in the 2020 election. I mean, it's right. basically right that for that exact four year time span. Hmm. Um, so that has been interesting. And this past year, it, it has changed kind of, I think what I write because this past year, I kind of found myself in a situation where I was free to write wherever, whatever I wanted for the first time in a while. And then the pandemic hit and I'm home with my kids who are doing virtual learning and my husband, who is a teacher who is teaching virtually and everyone's just here all the time. Sure. And, you know, there's just the oppression of everything that's going on in the world from the election to the pandemic. And what I found myself doing was escaping into writing and the book that i wrote over this past year was the most most joyful mm. writing experience i've ever had because i think it was the it was my reprieve from what was happening around me and um it's a very different book from from what has come before so it'll be interesting to see that book's journey but definitely okay. I, I don't know that i would have written that book mm. had not the events of like the past year Sure. Occurred. And then here we are at the election. And I mean, I'm not going to get political, but <laughs> kind of this, I can yes, breathe. Very much. And so. um, okay, what's what's next? And and for the and for the first time in a while, I'm really thinking about, all right, what does what does my career look like? Not just mm. the next book, but like what does my career look like? What I want, what do I want it to look like? over the next five years or the next 10 years, what, what is my, what do I want people to think of when they approach a Megan Bannon book? Mm. The future Great. just seems maybe a little more. Sure. Open. Great. Yeah. Well, let's wind things down and I'll ask you a few questions as we do. The first one being, what is your favorite movie that's based on a book? Uh, obviously the princess bride, <laughs> which is maybe the greatest movie of all time. It is a popular answer to this question. <laughs> I had a uh next one then what book or, or series are you willing to admit you've either never read or never finished 
Um, I was supposed to read The Great Gatsby mm -hmm. my senior year in high school. And I, it's not even a big book, but I just, mm -hmm. man, I could not do it. I can't do, I just can't do like a lot of the American sure. canon, quote unquote. So I've read some Hemingway. I hate Hemingway. Can't do F. <laughs> Scott Fitzgerald. I've never made it more than a few pages through a Steinbeck novel. And I have never even cracked open a William Faulkner book. Not even cracked one. <laughs> Nope. Very good. And then finally, what is the last great book that you've read? The last great book that I read was The Return of the Thief by Megan Whalen Turner. I love that series with all of my heart and soul. I And I've been with that series my entire librarian career, <laughs> waiting for each one to come out. Um. So I'm a, I am a law, I'm like a decades long fan sure. of that series. And it was just, you know, like when you've had a great series that's lasted decades to be able to finish it off in a way that is deeply satisfying mm. to your dedicated reader, I think is, I think that's a trick to pull off. And I mm. think she did a great job. I was deeply satisfied with that big finale to that series. So well done, Megan Whelan Turner. Great. Well, Megan, congratulations on the release of Soul Swift. Uh, excited for you and can't wait to see what else you have for us. Uh, Rock, thank you so much. And it has been a blast having this conversation with you. Thank you. And that is a wrap on this episode. I want to thank Megan Bannon for joining me. Again, her newest book is Soul Swift that comes out on November the 17th. You can also check out her first book, the Bird and the Blade. It's out now. Hope you've enjoyed this episode. And if you haven't, check out some of the other great episodes we have with YA and middle grade writers. I'm Brock Shelley. And until next time, keep reading.